ransomware, what we know and what we don't, and a look at the Cyber Safety Review Board's report on Log4j. These stories and more on this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Anna Delaney. Let's talk ransomware. What do we know specifically about how many organizations fall victim to a ransomware outbreak, how many victims pay a ransom, how many victims get stolen data followed by attackers leaking it, and finally, how are attackers gaining initial access to victims' networks? Well, joining me to discuss is Matthew Schwartz, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Matt, how many of the ransomware questions I just posed can we definitively answer? Anna, unfortunately, the answer is none. And why don't we know these details? Well, for starters, underreporting remains rampant. Currently, there are few regulations requiring victims to report such attacks or the details of such attacks. Also, ransomware groups have gotten really good at extortion. They have this ability to exert immense psychological pressure on victims to pay and to pay quickly and quietly. For example, if your systems get encrypted by ransomware, when the PCs reboot, there's often a lock screen with a countdown timer, usually set initially to a few days, which warns that the ransom demand will double once the timer has counted down to zero. Other things ransomware gangs do include posting the corporate logo of victims who don't quickly pay onto the criminal's data leak site. And then they'll leak data as well if they've stolen it, and many do, when a victim doesn't pay. Criminals also love to upsell their victims. They offer apparent peace of mind. So if you're a victim and you've got backups in place, you can ignore the attackers because all you need to do is hit restore. The criminals are still going to come at you. They're going to say, look, if you pay the ransom, we promise to delete all of the data we stole. Think about what that would mean to your shareholders or your customers or for the class action lawsuits that you will inevitably face because you've fallen victim. Of course, these promises are from criminals. They're worth nothing. It's just a collection of vague assurances meant to part victims from their money. So what do we know? I know it's such a downer. Well, thankfully, we do know some things. And numerous studies continue to give us a patchwork of insights into the ransomware ecosystem. The latest such study comes from the EU Agency for Cybersecurity, ENISA, which analyzed 623 ransomware incidents covering a 14-month period just ending in June. These incidents impacted victims in multiple countries, including the United States. And what did ENISA find? So there were seven big takeaways. And just to hit some highlights here, Anissa found a lot of different strains of ransomware in that time frame. 47 different types of ransomware. Obviously, there are a lot of players, and a lot of these strains are being offered by groups. So ransomware is a service groups that'll have lots of affiliates. So they could have dozens of affiliates wielding individual strains. So lots of players. Something else Anissa found was in Almost every case, 94% of incidents, it couldn't tell if a victim had paid a ransom. Now, it couldn't tell because it was looking at public reports and other sources of information, government details about cases that had been reported to it, for example. And a lot of times, there just wasn't that detail about if a victim paid. But Anissa suspects that in two-thirds of cases, victims 
did pay. Highly lucrative, obviously, here, if you're a criminal. In terms of the pressure I was talking about, data leakage is common. Anissa found partial leakage or full leakage of all stolen data in about a third of cases. One thing I thought was interesting was 500 gigabytes was the average amount of data that was stolen in any given attack. So that's a lot of data. If you're thinking about memos, customer records, databases, there could be a ton of information in there. And so that leads to personally identifiable information often being exposed is another finding. 60% of the time when data was leaked, it contained PII. Obviously, that can trigger notification rules under GDPR and in the U.S. states, which is further headache for victims. Another challenge, in 95% of the cases studied, there was no report about how attackers gained initial access. So either they didn't publicize these details, or what I suspect is a lot of victims simply don't know how attackers got in. Finally, Anissa found that organizations of every size and in every sector were falling victim to ransomware attacks. So can those findings be said to be definitive? Oh, <laughs> right. I've hit you with all these highlights and we don't even know if this is accurate. And Anissa is really, really clear about this. This is a study attempting to ascertain actual trends. But in that 14 month time frame, although they had information and reports on 623 incidents, extrapolating from what they know, they think there were 3,600 successful ransomware attacks. So they were only able to get 17% of attacks detailed. So what do we know about the 83% of cases that we don't know these details for? We don't know anything. So Anissa cautions that this is just the tip of the iceberg about what we're seeing, what's being exposed here might not actually give us great insights into the whole. What we do know, though, is the damage is really significant. Like I said, dozens of strains and dozens sometimes of wielders of each of these strains in some cases. Blockchain intelligence firm Chainalysis tracked more than $692 million in ransomware payments in 2020 and nearly the same amount in 2021. And both those figures are going to go up as more intelligence comes to light about the cryptocurrency wallets being used by criminals. So more than half a billion dollars in ransomware proceeds that we know about per year. Clearly, ransomware remains highly lucrative. Details of the vast majority of attacks are never becoming public. And this is allowing many in the ransomware ecosystem to continue operating from the shadows. So it's no wonder so many criminals keep trying to get in on this ransomware action. Well, Matt, thanks for filling us in on what we do and don't know. Anna, always a pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. In ISMG's latest episode of Proof of Concept, former federal CISO Grant Schneider, now Senior Director for Cybersecurity Services at Venable LLP, applauded the first ever Cyber Safety Review Board's report, which shares recommendations in response to the Log4J event. In the report, the board applauded Alibaba for following recognized practices for coordinated vulnerability disclosure of Log4J, but is concerned about the Chinese government's vulnerability disclosure rules, which compel researchers to tell the government about vulnerabilities within two days of discovery. The worry is, they say, that the PRC government could gain early access to serious exploitable vulnerabilities before they are patched. I asked Schneider whether this was a concern of his too. 
Yeah, it's definitely a concern of mine. It's a concern of mine that China has that law. Um, it's a concern about how it could be implemented, how it could be leveraged maliciously. It's also, I think, a fair warning because we've seen somewhat similar drafts or proposals in the U.S. as well to have early vulnerability reporting to the government. And I would caution the U.S. government and our lawmakers, we can't put something on the books in the U.S. that we have concerns about in China. And it's easy for us to say, but we're going to use it for good, right? We're just want to be able to mitigate and we want to mitigate critical infrastructure and federal in advance. And I understand that. And, and I want to to be able to do that. At the same time, it becomes a precedent if we have undisclosed, unmitigated vulnerabilities being reported to governments, less friendly governments are going to follow suit. They're going to have the same laws and they're going to point at us and say, we're doing the same thing as the US. So I think it's a bit of a warning for us. It's definitely a concern with China, though, having that on the books. And I also applaud Alibaba for following appropriately what I would coin at least as international norms and, and what we expect from a cybersecurity industry. And finally, with more and more states in the U.S. adopting their own privacy legislation, what are some of the areas that security leaders and their privacy teams in the healthcare sector are focused on as compliance becomes more of an issue? Well, this was a question posed by Tom Field, ISMG's Senior Vice President of Editorial at our recent Midwest Summit, the CISO Shafali Mukuncheri of Edward Elmist Health. Here she is sharing how her team is trying to harmonize the disparate U.S. privacy laws. There's a lot of change happening. You know, the HIPAA rule of 1996 is being looked to be revamped. When that was written originally, it was based off of paper records. That's right. Now we have electronic health records. We have mobile devices where you can access your EHR. We're much more of a global nation than we were before. And so we have to look at how our electronic information will assist us in making sure the privacy continues. So when we look at GDPR in the European Union, uh, we look at the CCPA in California, Utah has recently just adopted their privacy law. So there is a trend to look at GDPR. And you know, I look at GDPR as almost like the brother or sister of HIPAA. It's a little bit more complex than HIPAA because it does have a stronger privacy engagement for organizations. But I do believe that within Edward Elmer's Health, we have to work on operationalizing the privacy side. And what I mean by that is when a patient comes in and they're wanting to get a copy of their medical records. What is our process to give them medical records, right? So looking at that, if it's a husband that comes in for a wife and says, hey, I need to get a copy of my wife's records, what exactly is entailed? Those things would change. Also, how do you obtain a copy of your own medical record? Do you get charged for it? In the old days, you used to get charged, you know, 10 cents, 5 cents per page after a certain number of pages. Now you get a CD and maybe you charge two cents, five cents for it. So times are evolving. That's it from the ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney. Until next time.